0: This episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected is brought to you by Bridgeside Medical Clinic, Chesapeake Integrated Behavioral Healthcare, and Edgar Casey's ARE. Now more than ever, we have an opportunity to be a positive force in the world, to help heal the divide, to treat each other and ourselves with respect. But with so many tools out there, from meditation to physical training, proper nutrition, therapy, and so many others, we all need a little help navigating all the options. Join us as we share in-depth information, insights, and thought-provoking discussions that will help answer your questions about how to stay calm, cool, and connected during these times. Welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected, your guidebook to peace of mind. Hello, and welcome to Calm, Cool, and Connected. I'm your host, Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. Behavior analysis is the science of behavior, which is rooted in the psychological theory of behaviorism. And the focus of behavior analysis is to improve the daily functioning of individuals through behavior change. A specialized role in this field is the board-certified behavior analyst who often provides mental health services for children who have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, behavioral challenges, and other mental health conditions. Joining us today is Hannah Durbin, a board-certified behavioral analyst. She's going to share with us about her role in the field and give some tips on how to more effectively handle behavioral concerns with children. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to our show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. So before we jump in, tell us a little bit about your background. What is it that you do in this role and how did you get into this specialized? I mean, it truly is a specialized role that requires the certification process after a master's. So tell us about that process.
1: So this role kind of landed in my lap on accident as an undergrad. I wasn't doing well in a chemistry class and I approached my chemistry professor for some assistance and he asked what I wanted to do and I described to him the population I wanted to work with and he said, "I I don't think you have the right idea. I think you would really like applied behavior analysis and I said, I've never even heard of that. And he said, well, I know someone who's looking for a new behavior therapist here's their name and number. And so I became a registered behavior therapist for a family of a child with autism as an undergrad. So my supervisor then was a BCBA. So that's why I was introduced to the field.
0: Okay, got it. And so then from there, it sounds like your professor was correct. That was the population you enjoyed working with. So have been doing it since then?
1: Yeah, I picked the population of young children with developmental disabilities early on in In undergrad, that's who I knew I wanted to work with, but I didn't know that this was the type of work that I wanted to be doing.
0: And how would you describe, so someone? when someone asks, what is a board-certified vapor analyst, how do you put that in
1: a nutshell? How do you describe that? So I always describe the intake process of when we get a kiddo that's referred to us. So first a kid gets an autism diagnosis and the family says, now what? So then they come to us and we complete several assessments across the board and identify skill deficits. And we say, okay, these are where the milestones are where the child is not meeting where they should be according to their age with similar peers. And so I make very individualized goals for us in the clinic to work on to get those kiddos to where they need to be to hopefully be able to participate in a school setting with all of their peers. Yeah, which is so
0: important because we know that sense of isolation for some of these kiddos when they're maybe not developmentally on track, that just exacerbates the mental health concerns when they are excluded or they don't get to actively participate. How do you help these children and the families of these children get the kids to work more towards whether it's developmentally on track or just being able to associate with their peers? How do you do some of that work with them?
1: So we prioritize a lot of the skills that we work on, like you said, are communication and peer goals. We use a lot of reinforcements. A lot of these kiddos won't work very hard unless you have something really good for them identified at the end of it. Hey, if you do this, I'll give you this instead, which I mean, is why we all come to work for a paycheck. right? I uh, totally agree. So we work to prioritize. We We prioritize family goals with often social skills and communication. And then we prioritize those developmentally appropriate things, counting, letter recognition, all of those academic pieces that if they have those skills, they're more likely to be included in the classroom later.
0: I love how you bring up that aspect of the reward-based system, which is so important. When I work with parents, if I'm working with a child, and so I'm doing parent-child work, and I suggest rewards, we often hear, which I'm sure you can relate well, I'm not going to bribe them to do the right thing. I don't. And to your point, it is we are all as humans motivated by reward basis where our
1: dopamine comes in. Yep. How do you help parents to understand that concept? So the, the concept of bribery versus reinforcement does get really tricky. The way that I describe it is bribery is giving something before a behavior is done. So at the grocery store, if a kiddo is having a meltdown and you say, I'll give you this candy bar, if you stop crying. Well, the kid stops crying or they get the candy bar before they stop crying. That would be bribery. Reinforcement comes once the kiddo has demonstrated that behavior you want to see. So you say, use your coping strategies. Let's take some deep breaths. Great job calming down. Now you can have this candy bar. So you're reinforcing that behavior that you want to see. You're not. Using the reinforcer to just stop the behavior in its tracks, if that makes sense. It
0: totally makes sense. And I love it from that perspective. That is, I'm definitely going to steal that from you. That's a great (laughs) way to approach that. What are some common parenting struggles that you see? So, either with a population that you work with or in general with children with behavioral difficulties, what are some of the common ones that you most often come across?
1: More often than not, parents, just like the rest of us, are. They struggle to identify the cause, the root cause of the behavior, which ultimately is my biggest challenge. And my, my role here is why is this child having all of these maladaptive behaviors? And I think the biggest piece of information that I tell parents is remain calm. Like kiddos reflect your attitude. So if they're heightened and you come in heightened, it's just going to keep growing and things are going to get worse. But if you, if they're upset and you come in and say, I see that you're upset. I'm not sure what you need, but I'm going to sit here with you in the mud until we figure it out together. More often than not, that is such a huge help to parents and their kiddos if parents are just willing to sit in the mud and just kind of wait it out and calm down with them.
0: Yes, and that the co-regulation is essentially what you're describing. And so Um, the ability for the child to regulate based on the pair being regulated is a really powerful thing. How about when it comes to communication difficulties? Because with some of these developmental delays, there is that directly impacts the ability to use their words, so to speak, to communicate what they need.
1: How do you address that? Well, first, it depends on what type of communication they're able to produce. So if they can make vocal sounds and echo us, then we would provide lots of proactive opportunities to ask for things before they get upset that something's missing. So if we start to notice that their favorite snack is running low, we say, oh, do you want more, more cookies, more Cheerios? And they would be able to produce those sounds. If they can't vocalize, then we would provide lots of proactive opportunities to use picture cards to exchange as that communication mode, or if a kiddo has an electronic device through their school or their speech language pathologist. So we identify that mode of communication, and then we set up lots of proactive opportunities to beat the the behavior before they engage in it,
0: okay, yeah, which makes a whole lot of sense. and when you were talking earlier about the coping skill aspect, so the suggestion, use your coping skill, let's regulate first. What are some of these coping skills that maybe if you could just even give us an idea of two of them that you most commonly suggest?
1: it's child specific that's so tough, okay. um but the ones that I see most often are like taking deep breaths that's that's a big one, and then a lot of our kiddos that engage in Aggression or self-injury, we give them something else to destroy. We give them a pillow to hit, some paper to tear. And if that's something that they need to get their anger out, then we allow them to do it in a safer, in a safer way. Okay, great idea.
0: What is your favorite part of your role? Before we wrap up, I'd like to know. So you went into this job not really expecting it. And now it sounds like you really love it or are passionate about it. What's your favorite part of it?
1: Two things come to mind. First, no day is ever the same. My job is never boring. It's, there's always a challenge, which can be tough because I never, it's not like I always have the right answer. So sometimes it's quite a challenge. So like, oh, this is really tough, but it's never boring here. And the second thing is when parents come in with little wins. So we have a kiddo right now that struggles with transitions and we've been working on teaching him bargaining tools saying, hey, can I have two more minutes to play? And we say, yeah, great job staying calm and asking. Absolutely. You can bargain for more. And mom said the transitions into our clinic is sometimes hard. And he asked for more time the other day and said, before I go to Behaven, can I have two more minutes? What a huge (laughs) win. So it's cool to hear family stories of the skills that we teach here working at home. Oh, yes, absolutely. The success of
0: that, I mean, just makes it feel so worth it. Tell us real quick about the, what is the
1: facility that you work with? So I work for Behaven Kids. We have several different clinics that work with different kiddos with different diagnoses and different stages of life. So the clinic that I work in specifically only works with kids with an autism diagnosis. And most of our kids here are between ages four and eight. So right around that early school age. Okay, and is there a website that
0: people can find out more about you guys? Yes, BehavingKids.com. Perfect. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Hannah. I really appreciate you taking the time to share with us about this really amazing role that you have. Sure, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected. Please make sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram, and also make sure to rate and subscribe for our podcast so that others can discover our content as well. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of Calm, Cool, and Connected.